Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ashna, joined by the stunning and beautiful Jennifer Lynn. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very good. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you. Thank you. It's been a wonderful Friday so far. Happy Friday to everybody listening. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. This is a show where we explore the various various dimensions of spiritual awakening in our modern world. So it's wonder, wonderful to have everybody back. It's nice to be sitting here alongside of you and sort of waxing poetic and keeping this thing going. For sure. Each week. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. We're here back we, at it. Exactly. We're back at it. How's your week been so far? So far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I had a had an interesting little experience. This is kind of a, a little continuation from last week. That's the start of every good story. Yeah, you know, so, you know, last week we talked a little bit about how I had um, some some otherworldly visitors in my house. Oh yeah, yeah, and you did um, some work with cleaning. Yeah. I think you had an energy worker or a light worker that had come kind of assisted you with that whole thing. How's that been? Yeah, actually it was it, it was better. It was better for a couple yeah. of days and then, um, and then we had something else pop back in. Really? Yeah. So I think that's part of the whole vortex thing that yeah. something that we can expect on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. So it's almost like one of those things that in a lot of ways you probably just have to get used to. You know, and I, I actually asked, um, Heather McCall is the person who I use to, yeah. um, uh, the light worker that I use to, um, clean our house. So heathermccall.com, if you guys are interested, if you are in need of that service. Yeah. So, um, she, she called me back and said, Hey, I'm going to have to teach you how to do this because this is just something that's going to be a reoccurring issue because you're so close to this energy vortex. And, um, one of my dogs started acting funny and he wouldn't come up to bed. And usually the dogs will beat us to bed. Right. And, uh, he was downstairs and he was growling. So I Mm -hmm. went to pick him up and he bit me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yes. He bit me. My own dog. They're older dogs though, right? No, no. This one was the baby. Oh, it was the baby. Yeah. So he's only two years old. Yeah. See, the reason why I ask about the age is um, I have some family members that have uh, a dog, two pair of dogs, and they're actually getting older. And uh, they're starting to kind of just act a little differently as they get older. You know, a bit more cranky. They start just to like get people. A bit, they start to get a bit snippy. Yeah, they do. You know what I mean? A little crotchety. Yeah, a little crotchety. I had a friend a while back when we were at like a camping trip and he brought this dog with him and his dog was named was Indiana Jones. What a great name. It's a definitely a great name. And he, Love he that. had like this long hair and he was really, really grumpy. Yeah. But no, no, no. I mean, I've had my share of grumpy dogs in my time, but on this trip, I remember actually sitting by the fire and um, there were some people that had decided to sleep around the fire and everybody kind of congregated there. But uh, my friend, Jared, he's the one that had the dog named Indiana Jones. I remember just looking at them sleeping and the dog was sleeping next to him. And whenever Jared would move, the dog would get grumpy. Yes. I remember thinking to myself, like, what does this dog have to be grumpy about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what, what is it? What is going on in their mind to where it's just like inconveniencing them in some way? It's so funny that you bring that up because yeah. the same dog that bit me yeah. is the same dog that will growl if you move him in the bed. Yeah. Once he's comfortable and he's sleeping, he doesn't want to be bothered and don't touch yeah. his tail. He's not interested in that either. Yeah. So it's just like they are kind of like um, grumpy, older human beings, you know, yeah. they have their own little ways. They do. So they, they have. Yeah. yeah. They have their own little egos and they just have little ticks and things that we have to pay attention to. But the reason why I bring up the story of my sister is that um, she has been feeding them, of course, because they're dogs. But just recently they just started getting snippy with the food. 
and mm-hmm. one of them bit her too. Really? I mean, it could also be looked at as we, you know, we have a really strong electromagnetic waves that, you know, can be attributed to a lot of things. One of those being maybe solar flares, Mm -hmm. those electromagnetic frequencies moving through our planet influence animals in lots of different ways. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And another thing too, I mean, animals, animals, I think more than anything are influenced by these because a lot of the animals in our animal kingdom are, are a lot of the behaviors are moderated by these sort of energy fields. That's mm-hmm. why you have birds that know to fly south for the winter. And right. that's why you have, you know, sea creatures that migrate to different areas of the world in order to either take advantage of like the cooler water or the warmer water. Right. So I, I know that you probably overheard through watching um, the, the news or reading articles about like, we're starting to see animals, large scores of animals just wash up on shore. Yes. And you know, dying. And, um, it's because those electromagnetic frequencies, when we start messing around with the environment, we start messing around with the natural harmony and the flow of life. Um, it starts to disrupt that flow. All of a sudden these animals are being directed to these areas of the world that isn't conducive for them to live. Right. You know, and that's the same thing with, uh, I think a little while, a while back, there was what, there was that uh, situation with the monarch butterflies. Yes. That, that was so cool. From Mexico. Yeah. That it was awesome. I mean, I remember sitting at a red light and just a swarm of monarch butterflies. It yeah. looked like the end of times, like yeah. the locusts are coming, but it yeah. was all butterflies. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. And you had a lot of, and actually, if we're talking about the book of Revelation there, I think Vegas had their share of, I think some locusts that came through. Really? Yeah. I didn't and hear I, about that. I remember that butterfly thing and it was, it was really surreal, really beautiful um, to just see just like these, these, these just scores of, of butterflies just all over the place. Yeah. Especially when you think about how short their lifespan is yeah. to see that many at yeah. one time. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's really powerful too, especially when you see animals like that, that spend so much time in the cocoon and they go through this transformational period where they're alive and then they go into this state of rest and then they, they sort of rebirth themselves almost as this sort of like Phoenix. Right. Only to be alive and die a few days later. Right. You know, it kind of puts it into perspective because nature just has this sort of natural flow. They're not really worried about the duration of their life. Mm-hmm. They're not concerned with how many days they're going to be able to live Um, how many different experiences they can accumulate within a short period of time. Mm -hmm. They just do what they do. And they don't really seem too concerned with the fact that 48 hours from now, they're not going to be alive anymore. Right. And human beings, I mean, we're essentially still a part of nature, just in a little bit more complex way. A lot of us spend a lot of time wondering when that final day is going to come. And we could, you know, we can create a lot of anxiety and a lot of insecurity in ourselves with our mind when it comes to worries like that. So the reason why I bring it up is because butterflies, very butterflies along with other animals, I actually think there are other animals that are probably only alive for about 48 hours or so. They're really, really great teachers Hmm. because they show you that no matter how long your life is or how short your life is, that you can still be happy doing whatever it is that you do, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that story like that. with uh, Django. Yeah. So, yeah. So he bit me and yeah. I picked him up anyway and brought him up to bed mm-hmm. and he was laying in the bed and he was looking at the ceiling growling. So I could tell that obviously he could see something that we couldn't see and he was very disturbed by it. And he had that crazy look in his eye. Yeah. He gets this, like this crazy, like 
I don't know, crazy look. Like but he's going to attack. the side eye, right? It's not the side eye. You can see the white in their eyes. Yeah. The alligator eye where yeah. their heads forward and they turn their <laughs> eye like fully to the I left. I why dogs do that. I don't know. I don't know. You know? They could just, they could just look at you full on. Yeah, they but could they do this side thing. Yeah. You know, which yeah. you can see, it's a little bit more menacing. It's kind of like attitude. It's like yeah. their way of giving you attitude. It's like, you know, it's like they don't want to like show you that they're giving you their full attention. They right. want to just pretend like you're not there and just sort of give you the like, who, hey, you walked in on my party. Right. Yeah. You know? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I thought, it, I thought this was pretty cool because, um, I contacted Heather and I said, Hey, you know, um, we've got something else going on. So she took, a look and she was like, yeah, you did. Something came through, but, um, I told it it was in the wrong spot and it needed to move on. So, um, so yeah, everything is all clear again, but I thought it was really interesting because the next day I was, um, I was actually texting you about it. I was talking to yeah, you about it yeah. and you gave me a really good piece of advice that I'd never heard before. Uh-huh. Um, but it makes perfect sense after you said it is, um, you said, well, why don't you ask your, your angels for help? Yeah. And, um, you said they can't help you unless you ask because right. of free will. That's right. The, the, the free will. I mean, angels exist on a dimension and a frequency much higher than this 3D realm. Right. And they they can't communicate with us in the same way um, that we'd anticipate maybe another human being communicating mm-hmm. with us because um, of that free will thing. Right. You know, and they can't intervene with anything unless you speak it out or create it, hold an intention inside of your mind as to what it is that you want them to do. And it's crazy because I've spoke to many people and I was one of those people too, where it's like, okay, well, if the angels uh, in, intrinsically know everything about you, why yeah. wouldn't they just intervene whenever it is that uh, I needed them to? Same right. thing. I think yeah. the, the responsibility more when it comes to spirit guides, because they know you, they're like assigned to you. To you, yeah. You know, but- I'm like, you can see I'm in distress, help out. Yeah, yeah, and it's not as obvious that that's what you have to do, but that is a compassionate impulse for spirit guides and angels to not interfere unless you ask for help. Because one, it's a really powerful, very vulnerable state you have to be in in order to basically put your ego to the side and ask for help. Cause mm-hmm. there are lots of people that have issues with asking for help from anybody. Oh yeah. So if you're at that point where you're asking for help, you know, uh, uh, you have to get to that point first. Yeah. And once you've gotten to that and you just speak it out in the universe or even through meditation, I feel like, um, that's when they intervene because you allow them to. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I took your advice and I asked for help. I mm-hmm. said, Hey, help me out. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a reoccurring theme and I don't know what to do. I don't have the tools to were help these out, spirits move on. on. Were you on your knees and like shouting at this guy? <laughs> help me. Uh, like internally. Cus- yes. Like John Cusack with the, with the boom box over, yeah. his, over his shoulders. That's how I was feeling. <laughs> I was feeling that way, but I was just yeah. like, Hey man, help me out. Like you can see I'm, I'm in distress. Help me out. Right, help right. the sister out. Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting because for the very first time um, I looked at my phone and I saw, um, the angel sequence three, 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 never, I've never seen three, three, three in my entire life. Not one time. Really? Yeah. 11, 11, very common. I see it all the time. It's like reoccurring. Right. But three, 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 this was the first time. Mm. And, um, so I looked it up and this is super cool. So this is your ascended masters, um, letting you know that they heard your cry for help. Mm. So I was like, how about that shit? How about that for instant instant uh answer absolutely i was like cool all right you heard me yeah yeah and i think one of the more common um ones that people are 
familiar with is 1111. Yeah. And there was a period of time during 2012 of all years, right, where I started seeing these sequence of numbers just on a loop every single day. Now, I wasn't one of those people that just went looking for it. It's easy to kind of fall into that. Yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, I got to wait for that good luck to happen. The angel's yeah. on his way. He's about five minutes away. <laughs> 11, 11, boom. And then all of a sudden you're texting like five of your friends. Right. Right. When I see 11, 11, I never intend to see it. Yeah. And, and I think that's the point. Whenever it's a, a synchronistic thing, when you're not trying to anticipate something because that mm-hmm. anticipation is largely moderated by the ego wanting to create an outcome to something. Whenever synchronicity happens or those sort of uh, mindful coincidences happen. It's always when you don't expect them to happen. Yeah. Right. And during 2012, I see 11, 11 all the time. And yeah. 2012 was like a really, really pivotal time in my spiritual evolution. And they say that, you know, the more popular one is like, oh, well, make a wish. You can do that. You yeah. could follow that if you want to. That's okay. But for me, I think it's really important that when you see these sequence of numbers to pay attention to yeah. your field, pay attention to the thought that may be in your mind at that moment. Mm-hmm. It could be any situation that happens to be in your present during that time. Mm-hmm. It could be something in your body. How does your body feel? How are you breathing? Basically, it's a call for you to practice this radical attention to everything in your field. Mm-hmm. And, the, and if you are dialed in and tuned in enough, you will receive that confirmation that that angel or that guide that's listening will show you through those numbers mm-hmm. synchronized with a feeling or an emotion or an outcome or a situation. Yeah, you know absolutely. Because I mean? they communicate in those those ones and zeros because they they can't obviously speak the English language across the dimensions because mm-hmm. they're they're at a, they're vibrating at a much higher rate. So in order right. for them to sort of you know, drop it down a few notches. They got to communicate in these sort of symbolic ways. And I mm-hmm. think that's the thing is that because they don't communicate um, in the standard sort of English language, whatever language you, you, what happens to be your, your native tongue, they can only do it through symbolism because of that free will. Right. You know, so that's when, you know, uh, a door opens at a certain time or, you know, you get a phone call after a certain period. It's like these, these little coincidences that happen. Right. You know, and 11-11, I didn't find out until later. It's it, There's a lot of really cool, mysterious lore around it, but it's like the 11-11 are like two doors. Yeah, that's so cool. You know, they're like two doors that you can just walk into. Almost you could also be, you could also look at it as like these entering into a kingdom because you have the the pillars that have like the, the little flags at the top. Yeah. And then you have the, those two little buttons in the middle and it's basically a call to walk through the doorway. Yeah, absolutely. The gateway portal. Yeah, you know? your opportunity is waiting for you. Absolutely. And now is the time to manifest that into existence. Yeah, yeah. And those guides and those angels are always there. That's and right. there are different practices that um, you could use in order to tap into them through, through, through psychic energy, through affirmations, through meditation. But you'd be surprised at how closely they work with you. And we don't even have just one guide. I mean, depending on how open and how receptive you are, you could have multiple. Mm -hmm. Some people um, develop relationships so intimate, intimately with them where it's like they find out their names. Whoa. They find out, you know, even that spirit guides history because um, they also have other human beings and other beings and other dimensions that they assist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, develop a really close relationship with your guide 
And really amazing things can happen, given though, they're not there to just give you everything that you want. Right. The one thought that comes into the mind of a spirit guide is, how could I use each and every experience as a way to get this being and this spirit to awaken to its full potential? Yeah. How do I use this experience as a way, as a way for this individual to self-actualize yeah. who they really are? Yeah. So, and, and that involves, so if you run into what seem, seems to be maybe like a heartbreak situation or a really good rewarding experience, it's, it's a, it could, uh, an unfortunate situation can also be looked at in the eyes of a guide as a really good thing. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, now it's, yeah. Now is, now's the time. Now's the time. Now mm-hmm. we can change the course. Now we can change the course. It can show you everything that you've been misaligned with through really intense emotions like pain. Yeah. Like happiness, like sadness, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know I noticed that I see 1111 whenever I'm, my mind is starting to get a little too dark. Mm-hmm. Like if I have something really stressful happening in my life and I'm kind of dwelling on it, yeah, I'll see 1111 to remind me that your thoughts and feelings manifest into reality and right. to kind of like zip it up. Yeah. You know? It's like checking yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I noticed that anytime I start to get like kind of in a downward spiral, I'll see it. Yeah. It's like, okay, snap back to reality. Yeah. Yeah. This is really important to be mindful of, of how you approach these numbers too, because you can get into this, this sort of obsession with numbers. Mm-hmm. So I know some people where it's like they get into just the the, the study of these angel numbers and they start looking for them everywhere. Yeah. License plates, TVs, like all over the place. Yeah. And that's not the point. Yeah. I it's mean, not it's the point. To be- yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is this intuitive impulse that runs through you that, um, you know, when to look at the right place at the right time. Right. You know, but you don't want to just sit and anticipate seeing these numbers all the time, you mm-hmm. know, but when they do happen, they're just so special and they're so really, really very unique. I noticed that, during that time in 2012, when I started seeing that sequence of 1111 and 1212, because 1212 is one that I used mm-hmm. to see a lot, and also have an affinity to the number 13. One, because my my birthday is on the 13th, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of followed me throughout my life. And um, whenever I would see 1111, it was always during like really pivotal times in my spiritual evolution. So just the same as you, it's like once you find yourself falling deeper into a certain pattern of behavior it Mm -hmm. pops up for this one it was almost like playing a video game and then getting like a one-up or like or or, or, you know no playing a video game and then you don't have like after a certain period of time where you're playing like these rpgs you can do an an, rpg it's like role-playing games that i think people play online oh okay like world of warcraft oh things like that i don't play those but i know um a, a part of kind of interacting with these consoles is they have these auto save features where it's mm-hmm. like you're going along a certain point and you're wrenching for a while and then you reach the checkpoint and then you can save your game at that point. Oh, got it. That's how I see. So if you die before that, then you lose all your progress. Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so how I, they get you. That's how, <laughs> that's how they get you. Yeah. That's like those n- Nintendo games from when you were a kid. I don't know oh. if you were in those. Yeah. But I was. those were like unanimously known for being the most difficult fucking things to 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 move through. Yeah. They didn't think that far ahead back. I think when they made like, like Nintendo consoles, but Mm -hmm. you have games like Contra Mario brothers where it's like you die and then you got to go all the way back to the beginning. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the games that used to kind of make you crazy and really, really test your patience when you're a kid. But when you're a kid, you got the time. Yeah. When you're jumping over mushrooms and exactly. nobody thought that was. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Nobody, nobody thought. Nobody looked into that one. Yeah. Nobody looked into that one. I mean, that's another rabbit hole that we can go into all the, the different symbols and things like that, that happen in our life that have been, or can also be looked at as synchronistic type of events. Mm-hmm. If you're a really tuned in type of kid and you're playing these games and you start seeing these sort of plant medicine things or these sort of like spiritual windows kind of coming up, we all even consciously or unconsciously are always, always giving each other hints and clues as to what the real nature of this universe is. Right. You know what I mean? And of course, there's a lot of light and dark kind of worked into that, you know, that whole thing with Disney movies growing up. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's just whatever your there's perception. A, there's a villain in every single Disney movie and yeah. they're really, really dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those movies are, are based off of, I think, grim fairy tales, which yeah. are already, they begin dark. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody that's listening, if you're not familiar with grim fairy tales, is uh, they were basically stories that were told to young children as a way to get them to behave, to get them to come inside after dark. And we've took these stories that are actually, they're, they're pretty dark, got a lot of shadow in there. And we've sort of glamorized them, glamorized them and made them Disney movies. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy once you get older and you start to see the true meaning behind a lot of these things. But I think at the very core of a lot of those Disney movies, yes, there's sort of like a, a hero, a protagonist, and then there's a villain. Yeah. And really early on in your development, you're obviously forced to choose a side where you're like, okay, well, I'm for the good guy. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm, I'm for Ariel and not for Ursula or, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for the beast and not whatever that other guy's name is. But the one thing that's interesting is that that good guy can never exist without the villain. Right. It's like Batman always trying to annihilate the Joker, mm-hmm. but they secretively inside don't want to do that. Right. Because if he defeated the Joker and vice versa, there'd be no, there's no story. Th- there's no story. Right. You know, they need that resilience. They need that sort of drama to take place. And ultimately you can also look at it as in Buddhism, they called that divine play Mara. Mm-hmm. And Mara is the one that seduced Buddha when he was sitting underneath the Bodhi tree. Okay. Right. So the, the long story short, the story of the Buddha is uh, he was this, he was the, the, the kin of royalty. He was so used to, you know, having things given to him. He mm-hmm. never experienced death. He never experienced anything remotely uncomfortable. And obviously there was a deeper side of him that realized that that wasn't real life. Right. So he decided to venture out of the city walls. And when he made that decision, this was a decision that he'd made knowing that he was already, he pretty much already had everything that most people that aren't a part of royalty really want. Right. So the fact that he still was seeking for something else showed that those luxuries didn't really mean a whole lot to him. There was something deeper inside and that divine impulse, I call it like the evolutionary impulse that happens is something that I think each individual person goes through at some point and it causes us to venture into unknown territory, mm-hmm. the unknown realms and really break out of what's comfortable. So that's what Buddha did. So he went on this journey, met with lots of different people, tried fasting, did a bunch of crazy things. 
And at the very end of his, uh, with the, close to the end of the journey, he started to get kind of frustrated. So he sat, found this Bodhi tree in a place that is now known as Bodh Gaya. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's the, the home of where that Bodhi tree is. And you okay. could actually still go to oh, it. Oh, you can? I didn't know yeah. that. But it, it's speculative though. It's, there yeah. are some people that are like, okay, this is where Buddha sat under. And there's some people that aren't sure. Right. But it's in Bodh Gaya. And I've seen pictures and it's still cool to dream. Right. So he sat underneath this Bodhi tree and he said to himself, he's like, I'm not going to move from this space until I become enlightened. So he sat in meditation for days and Mara came and seduced him with every possible thing you can imagine, like mm-hmm. beautiful women, like, I guess in relation to kind of how we say things, it'd be like the, the, the equivalent to like drugs or, or wealth or, or popularity, right? Mm-hmm. And Buddha just sat there completely indifferent and still to all this that was going on, Yeah, right? And that's where he realized that there was a separation between himself and the sort of thoughts and the desires that come within his field. Mm-hmm. So I think the point of that story is most people, when they think of Mara, when they think of that sort of great seductive force, they see it as, okay, there was some force outside. Maybe it had that sort of archetypal um, myth, 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 mythical vibe to it Mm -hmm. like he came and he was like this dragon that like came from the stars or something like that but that wasn't the case mara was inside of him it was the ego right so it wasn't that there was some omnipotent force outside of him that was tempting him it was that mara the ego inside yeah whenever you're still whenever you're sitting radically honest with yourself and your journey when you're still the mind you'll notice starts to move it does because it gets so used to moving in and out of mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a large reason why it gets so used to moving is because we live in a really fast society. Yes, we do. Really quickly, right? Yes. Everything's moving so fast. So we don't even realize that our minds and our egos start to get used to that intensity. Yeah, absolutely. So that- You're conditioned, you're you're conditioned, conditioned for it. You're so fast, moving fast all the time. And then if you're not, then you feel like you're being unproductive. Right. Yeah, if you, if you don't feel like you're being a consumer, you're not like just crushing it every single day. There's this voice inside of you and it's, it doesn't even have to be your own voice. It can be other people. They're like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm, sitting around, yeah. not crushing it, <laughs> you know? Not to say crushing it, you know, going extra isn't a bad thing, but it's all about how you look at it. It's like your perception. Right. You know what I mean? But everything needs balance. Everything needs balance. But it's the, 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 the interesting thing is that when when you sit and you're, you're, you're really present and you go into meditation and you just sort of quiet down it it seems like such a far away concept because a lot of us don't really get a whole lot of time to do that right so the second we sit down we get really hard on ourselves i mean what do you expect you live in a society that's moving so fast so of course your mind's going to adapt Mm -hmm. to that so that's where the the mindfulness and that awareness comes into play because if you're operating from awareness you can see that mind moving mm-hmm. without being affected by it. Yeah. In the same way that Buddha wasn't affected by Mara, mm-hmm. right? Because he's still, he noticed that there was something else that was still, there was something else that was present. There was something else that didn't move along with this sort of, ex, this extrasensorial st- st- stimulation. And that was awareness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He didn't, he was fasting during that time too, right? He didn't eat uh, or drink? 
Yeah, there was a period of time. Well, he he went he went and in, in along his journey, he met with several different types of people, and these different um, people were uh, some of them offered him different types of practices that promised enlightenment. Yeah. So he tried fasting, and that didn't work. Yeah. He got so close to death that he almost obviously almost died. Wow. And he was like, "No, it's not here." I think the whole the whole parable of the story is that he searched everywhere for enlightenment mm-hmm. and didn't find it. He didn't find it in practice. He didn't find it because all these things were still, uh, it s- symbolizes a seeking as if it was somewhere else. Yeah. He was searching everywhere other than within his own self. Mm-hmm. And then he finally got frustrated, which most people do. Most people, most people do. get so frustrated. Well, they'll just sit down just like Buddha did under the Bodhi tree. And they're like, I'm just going to sit here and, they give up. It isn't that they even sit there and try and be like, all right, well, I'm going to sit here and try and control my mind. It's not like that. You get to a point where you just give up mm-hmm. and that's when it comes. And that's when it comes. You have to sort of give it all away in order to get it back. You know what? That's kind of like the search for love. Yeah. Because the second you stop looking and you finally give up and you're like, you know what? I'm going to focus on other things. I'm going right. to focus on myself. I'm going to kind of change my life or right. that's whenever... That's somebody waltzes in your life and then yeah. you end up falling in love for real. That's true. That's true. It's like an Osho has a lot of really cool quotes where it's like, it's not about like being in love. It's just about being love. Yeah. And when people think of like falling in love, I, I was thinking about this the other day too. Cause it's like, you meet somebody that's, uh, it catches your eye and you fancy them and you're like starting to fall in love. Mm-hmm. But that, I don't think that would be an appropriate sort of analogy to use because we don't fall into love. We right. kind of ascend into it. Yeah, you, you grow know, into it. Like 100%. you grow into it, you know. And it's really not about um, being in love. It's just about being love. As long as you are radiating that beauty within, right? You're you're never going to operate from a space where you're relying on other people for that, mm-hmm. right? So it's like what you say, where it's like the. I think it's a, a large part of is our Western society because we're 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 raised to feel that whatever it is that will provide us with happiness or security is somewhere out there. Yeah. And I got to go looking for it. Right. And we get into that habit of looking for every possible solution and, you know, everything to treat whatever set of symptoms that we have without actually checking in with ourselves first. It's crazy how it's not like the place we start. Yeah. Right. And so we get into that habit of, okay, well, we're obviously seeking for something outside of ourselves and we find that love. Yeah, sure. There are relationships that can flourish mm-hmm. and is, it is an, it is a reality, but it's not an ultimate reality. Right? Yeah. Reminds me of that song, looking for love, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. Oh yeah. What, what is that song? I remember hearing that. Yeah. It's, that um, it's on, uh, place yeah, yeah. it was on a really popular movie. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, <laughs> Button Sissy. Oh, what is it called? Yeah. I don't know. Those, those were the two main characters. I'm going to have to look it up because that's going to turn me but crazy. But you're right. Yeah. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. You know, but if you spend the time with yourself, really using that energy to love yourself, Mm -hmm. to develop a sense of intimacy with your spirit and your heart, then you'll naturally start falling in love with yourself. But it isn't, and this is the thing, somebody came up to me um, at at a sound bath one time and they they were struggling with this idea of like, okay, well, they were in a a, a toxic relationship and they were uh, a bit more, uh, I would say toned down, more more introverted type. And 
um, from my perspective, they were a bit, a bit more submissive when it came to how they, um, conflict resolved with their partners. Right. And she was talking about like, you know, is it selfish to want to do something for yourself? Like to, to, to love yourself. Like, no. you know what I mean? Cause you yeah. could, you could easily go to two different directions. One of those loving yourself in a narcissistic way. Right. And that's what she, her question was like, okay, well loving yourself, basically, you know, ending a, ending a relationship because of a certain set of standards that weren't being upheld by their partner. Mm-hmm. Is it selfish for them to decide on something else out of love for themselves? And I feel like if, you know, there's a difference between narcissistic love, which is like, doesn't care about anybody, anybody else, else but themselves, mm-hmm. but it is not selfish to love yourself in the sense that you, um, you know, you, you want to protect your field. Mm-hmm. You want what's best for yourself and you know what you deserve. Yeah. And you, you know. can't, it's impossible to love somebody if you don't love yourself. Right. And the relationship never works right. if you're in that mindset where yeah. you're seeking that love from another person. That's true. Or a substance or. Yeah. Marion Williamson actually calls anything. it theft yeah. because you leave a lot on your partner to resolve, um, you know, some of the shadow work that you have, because as long as we have that hole inside of our hearts, so these, these shadows that exist within our fields, we're always going to project them onto our partners to try and resolve. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a huge burden for them. It is a huge carry. burden. Yeah. yeah. And it's in it in, you know, for maybe they, they, they can hold it for a while, but ultimately, I mean, you have to do the work and you know, most of those relationships don't last. Right. You know, so really taking accountability for your own happiness involves you loving yourself. And, and when we talk about attracting the right partner, you won't even really be about searching at that point because you're going to be too involved with all the things that you love, all the passions that you have. Mm-hmm. And if that person exists, it's going to happen when you least expect it, but it's going to be because you're doing something that you love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that in other podcasts where sometimes you will adjust your life and your interest and your, the things that you have going on your hobbies in order to make time for that person or to help them with their hobbies and their projects. And then in the end, they end up not caring for you as much because you're no longer yourself. You're no longer the person that they admired and that they loved because you have given up so much for your partner. Right. So there has to be a balance and there has to be. Yeah, there definitely has to be a balance. And I think all of us have done that at some point. Because when you get into a relationship, it gets it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Right. You want to spend all of your time with this person. Mm -hmm. Right. And and it's it's funny because um in uh Marion Williamson, she talks a lot about the Course in Miracles. A lot of people, when they think of the beginning stages of a relationship, Mm -hmm. they see as they see that sort of excitement, that spontaneity as uh, most people see it as is being an illusion. Like it's not real. Right. Right. Because at some point like reality will set in Mm -hmm. and then you'll get to see who they really are. Right. On the course of miracles, they switch it around. They say that in the beginning stages of meeting somebody, those beautiful moments, that intensity, that excitement, that spontaneity, that presence is actually who they are. are. Yeah. And then at a certain point, illusion sets in, right? which is all of your shadow, all of your projections, Mm -hmm. all of the things you want your partner to be. Mm-hmm. that you're not. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that's also part of the work. That's a part of that, that sort of sacred relate to sacred partnership that they talk about in the course of miracles where it's expected to some extent, Yeah, because as long as you're human, you're going to have some faults. You're going to have some imperfections. You're going to be imperfectly perfect. 
That's right. But it's all about finding that partner that is willing to do that work with you. Yeah, absolutely. That is willing to like look in your eye and be like, I see you. Yeah. Like, I, I really see you. Like this whole this bullshit that we're going through right now, this isn't you. Mm-hmm. Like you're in there. Yeah. And that partner will try and elevate you to meet your full potential, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And that's what that sort of sacred partnership really is. It's about the very core. You guys know that the act of loving another person in a partnership is the ultimate act and devotion to God, right? Mm-hmm. Because they act as this mirror that they're always showing. Because a mirror may basically being that your partner is always honest with you 100% about how they see you and their experience of you. Mm-hmm. So when you have that day where you come home, you're not feeling very well and you start projecting, they're going to illuminate that and they're going to say, Hey, you need to check this shit. Yeah. You know, and vice versa. Right. As long as those partners are being radically honest with us, we're always going to set ourselves on the right course to growing and learning. Yeah. Sometimes it's not even a lover partner. Maybe it's a friend or somebody that you spend a lot of time with, Right. you know, that sees you on your bad days and maybe you're a little snippy Mm -hmm. and they call you out on it. They're like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I see everything okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like what Yvette talked about. You yeah. know, it goes all across the board. I mean, it could be your parent, it could be your dog. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of dogs that test a lot of fucking people. Oh shit. You My dogs test I mean? me every like day. Your dogs can test, can, can teach you patience. Yes. Your mother can teach you appreciation and gratitude. You know, there's these archetypal images that, that coincide with a lot of these positions that people take as human beings. Like you're, you're obviously your partner can teach you all about how you show up as a divine masculine man to a divine masculine woman. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about learning when it comes to relationships is that you learn on both sides of the coin, right? Right. You can learn by having a beautiful relationship with someone you love, but you could also learn if not more from relationships that completely shatter your heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, those relationships that completely shatter your heart, we've all been in those relationships where you just have such high hopes and so much love and you want it to work so bad, but there's a reason why it's not working, right? Right. There's a book called, um, they call it a breakup because it's broken. Oh. And it's a great book. It's a great Uh breakup book if anybody has ever in need of, of reading a kind of like pick me up type book. And it does talk about toxic relationships and, and maybe doing a little bit more introspection and like, Hey, yeah. maybe this wasn't where I needed to be. And right. why, why am I so broken by this? Right. And you it's know? hard to see that. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing is that we, we, we get so immersed into the dynamics of a relationship with, with somebody, especially when the intensity is involved. Mm-hmm. It could either the intensity being like the sex is just fucking amazing. Oh man. Or that that's the, a, that's the, a dark hole yeah, right there. <laughs> the dark hole or the toxicity is so great that you start creating these trauma bonds where you're oh, spending yeah. all your time arguing. So mm-hmm. it takes up so much of your field and so much of your energy to yeah. where you can't think of anything else. You obviously can't even think clearly either. Right. You know, that's why space is so important mm-hmm. because as long as we're so tethered to these implications, we never quite get at it. We never, move, we never move slow enough for us to really sit with ourselves and introspect. That's why meditation and space are exactly the same. They're identical. Mm -hmm. When someone says they need space, you might as well interpret that as they need meditation. Right. Because you're slowing yourself down and detaching yourself from your ego, which obviously is creating the issue, uh, slow enough to where you could actually breathe and take some space. And your whole 
physiological functions of your body are worked into that. I mean, even your breathing is affected by mm-hmm. these situations. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you take space from, you know, toxic situations, it, it's, it's really, really, it's really nourishing to the spirit. Yeah. You know, but in response to kind of what you're talking about is like a heartbreak or when a relationship ends, all of a sudden that, that car slows down. Yeah. All of a sudden, like everything stops. Mm-hmm. And it may not hit you right away. It doesn't happen for most people right away because they have to go through that process of mourning. Yeah. And that is a real thing. Yeah. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yeah. It's Everybody a, does it. Yeah. And it's so funny. I, I talk to couples that think that they're so evolved because they're they're spiritual and they're on a different level. And, right. oh, well, we're not going to go through these stages. We're going to do things different. And, right. and I'm like, no, you're not. You yeah. are still going to experience the stages of grief because mm-hmm. every human being does. I don't yeah. care who you are or how evolved you are. Yeah. It's just you like, can't escape it. Yeah. You want it now or later. Right. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. And it makes me think of this, um, th- this talk that I saw uh, of this shaman at lightning in a bottle a while back. I think it was mm-hmm. like 2015, 2016 mm-hmm. is the one. No discipline was fucking awesome. <laughs> right. So he was this, the shaman was talking about like how, whenever we experience pain, uh, anything uncomfortable, um, the first, first reaction in the ego, the first reaction in the mind is, I don't want to feel this. Right. There's resistance to it. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it because nobody wants to feel pain. Right. Right. And what he was saying is that. Well, some people do. Yeah. Some people do. <laughs> yeah. There are exceptions to that. I mean, there are some people that will mindfully enter into the void, the void at will because mm-hmm. they know that the only, you know, way out is in. Yeah. Right. They have to feel it to heal it mm-hmm. sort of vibe. Right. So, but we, what we don't realize when it comes to experiencing pain is that when we say no to pain, it is basically the exact same thing as saying that you're not ready for healing, that Mm -hmm. you're not ready to move forward. Right. And your body is so compassionate that it will prevent you from having to experience that. Mm -hmm. But the thing is it, it has to be felt at some point, right? So it comes later or it comes now. But he's saying like, whenever you speak it out in your mind that I don't want to feel this, it's the same thing as saying, I'm not ready to heal. Mm-hmm. And you could suspend the healing, but you only compound it over time if right. you do that. Yeah. So whenever you experience pain, whenever you experience emotional turmoil, you know, say yes, not because you want to feel pain, but because you love yourself. And by saying yes, it's the same thing as saying, I'm ready to learn from this. Like I'm ready to heal. Yeah. And that's the only way. Yeah. That is the only way. Yeah. And your body will follow suit. As long as you say, I'm ready to heal. And this, this could go across the board. Doesn't even need to be relationships. When you're having like a, you have the flu when you're sick. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, most people don't want to feel that. So they're like, I don't want to feel this. So they spend so much time resisting. And you notice how whenever you resist anything in your body creates tension, Mm -hmm. Right. And you feel that all over the place. And whenever you're catalyzing uh, this type of tension, it leads to a magnitude of different other things. Right. Right. But if you say yes, if you accept that I am sick, mm-hmm. I need to heal, you allow your mind the space to do other things. Mm-hmm. Instead of de- delegating that attention to the pain with tension, you're delegating that attention to space and allowing your mind to focus on the other things that actually need to be healed. Right. I see a lot of people do that with work. They don't want to take off work because they're, you know, maybe have an hourly pay or they're worried about their job security and they don't Mm -hmm. want to take off 
of work. So they go to work sick mm-hmm. and that's not a way to heal. Right. I mean, you really do. If you're sick, number one, you don't want to get everybody else sick. And number two, take your ass home and heal and go to sleep. Yeah. Your body is giving you this message that you need to shut down. So right. listen to it. Right. Right. And it's just a compassionate act for other people too. Right. But I understand the struggle that some people go through because, you know, emotional well-being, self-help days are not an internationally recognized holiday. You know, so it's like if 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 uh, you told somebody that you needed a mental health day, there are implications that go along with that. One is that, well, this person must be crazy. Are they worthy <laughs> enough to work here at this establishment? So you have to kind of tread under the radar when it comes to stuff like that. You know, I think it depends on where you work, probably because you know. I work in healthcare. So um, do I. And I work well, one of the products we have is an antipsychotic. So we work yeah. in the mental health space. Yeah. So um, that's a big kind of like a buzzword yeah. with us is taking mental health days, especially yeah. during COVID, because even though you're at home, you're working so much more right. because you have nothing else to do. There's right. no commute. There's no lunchtime. There's right. no, I mean, and I find myself at my desk till seven o'clock at night yeah. and I would never be at my desk at seven o'clock at night. If yeah. there were, if this was a normal time, I'd be cooking dinner and at the grocery store and doing something else. Yeah. But whenever you're a slave to your office, because you can't leave, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and answer. Yeah. You're answering emails at, you know, yeah. six, seven, eight o'clock yeah. at night and people are responding because they're doing the same thing. Yeah. I think, and I think it's, it's easier for us because we, we work in the healthcare field. Mm-hmm. Like Kaiser is like a huge advocate for healthcare, but there are people that are afraid to take that time off. Oh, for sure. Because there, there's obviously that guilt that I, I knew a lot of people that felt guilty for taking time off because they felt like they either were letting down their team or that they were doing something wrong. And right. I just tell them like, that's how they gotcha. That's you how realize they gotcha. that that narrative that you have is what keeps you sort of trauma bonded to this job. And, and you know, that's what, that's what your time off is for Yeah. and use it for sick days, use it for vacation. It's your time. And that is one thing that I preach all the time with, with, especially with my coworkers and, uh, Use your, use your time. I mean, yeah. don't let that shit roll over. Yeah. It's there for a reason. And there's a reason why two weeks are built into right. every year, because you really do need that time to decompress and step away from the workspace and, and yeah. decompress and relax. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When they have those Ted talks of these like scientists and that do these interviews that work at these hospital or hospice facilities with these elderly patients that are in the final stages of their life. And they're interviewing every single one of these people asking them, what is one thing that you wish you could have done? Mm-hmm. in your life. And a lot of them will say something relative to, you know, I wish I would have just taken more time for me. And yeah. you'd be surprised. That statement is really powerful, but not as obvious for people because people work so hard mm-hmm. that they don't even think of how important it is right. to take time for yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in, in terms of what we're talking about, heartbreak, relationships, you really, really need time to heal. Yeah. You really, really need time to heal. And that's the one thing that's difficult for most people. I think from my experience, when it comes to heartbreak and healing, the one thing that's hard is people can't deal with not knowing how long that hurt is going to go. Yes. Because the interesting thing about how the body translates the dialogue of the mind is that it feels pain emotionally, physically, that sensor is approximately the same all across the board. Mm -hmm. So when you feel physical pain, in emotional pain, it's felt in the body as the same thing. Yeah. So it covers your field of awareness. It covers your field of awareness. It'll, it, it causes you to not see reality correctly. So whenever you experience emotional pain, 
there's this feeling of like, oh shit, am I going to have to, how long is this going to happen? Right. And I felt that. I think anybody that has gone through a breakup feels this, where it enters into your field and you swear like, this is what your life is going to be like now. This is going to last forever. This is going to last forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and so you just have to trust that trust basically being understanding that the universe is a loving and compassionate force and it doesn't allow for us to fall and fall just, you know, deeper and deeper into this despair unless it's something that is self-inflicted by us. Right. Right. Because I've, I've looked at like the, the, the physical implications of how that sort of game plays, which is. Marianne Williamson has this quote and she says, um, the best, the best way to heal the past is by living fully in the present. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the last place for most people to look, because whenever you experience a traumatic episode that wasn't resolved or caused a lot of, you know, issues in your life, what is the first thing people think to look the past? Right. They're always like trying to evaluate the past, trying to figure out what they can do to the past in order to change their present experience. Mm -hmm. And the past doesn't exist. It's, it's like gone. a ghost. Mm -hmm. It's long gone. There's nothing that you can do. Right. And what Marianne Williamson was basically just trying to say is that the present is the only tangible reality that we have. Right. It is the only place that change is allowed to occur. It is basically the main spectrum that love operates. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change the past, live fully in the present. Yeah. And that seems sort of practical and goes without saying, but from that sort of neural perspective, mm -hmm. the way that our limbic system, the way that our brains process information, it, as long as we are registering new and beautiful and happy experiences, it has to get rid of the old ones. Yeah. It has to get rid of the things that, didn't serve you in order to make way for that, that beautiful, that beauty. You know, you I know. noticed, I noticed this in my own life that when I think about things that I was previously really upset about or, um, things that just really bothered me for a long time, as time goes by, I have a hard time remembering the details. Really? Yeah. And that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I feel like that it, it's, we, it, it is, it is obviously a, a physiological function inside of our body where it's like, it only has the capacity to remember the things that it deems useful. Right. You know? Yeah. So as long as you are being present, present, meaning going about your life, trying to rewire your brain to think in a different way, mm -hmm. you will start training yourself uh, to move you know, in, in a certain type of, of way, but at the same time, in order for it to make way for that new sort of curriculum, it has to get rid of all the things that mm -hmm. don't serve you anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think whenever you are meditating more and have a more positive frame of mind all the time, yeah. that it kind of, you build almost a block toward any other negative thoughts. Right. And a lot of those are negative memories. So if you right. have uh, a negative feeling that is associated with, with the memory, I feel like that's the first one to right. go in the dumpster yeah. of, of my mind. Yeah. Now it's gone. See you yeah. later. Yeah. It makes me think of like the, the animals, for example, animals will not go to the same place twice. If the first time they went, they experienced some type of threat, right? So when a human being experiences yeah. heartbreak, they don't want to feel that ever again. So what do they do? They look at that as sort of like a call to action and they'll start really paying attention to what it is that they need to do in order to, for that not to happen again. Right. You know what I mean? And basically that, that sparks that sort of like that, that, that 
wanting to rewire yourself to love yourself more. And that's where those boundaries come in, mm -hmm. right? Then those boundaries being even boundaries with other people, but even boundaries with yourself and how you communicate with yourself. Yeah. You know, you hear that quote that, that, that I forget who does it, but it's like, watch out, watch the words that you say because mm -hmm. you are listening. Yeah. You know, that's a great quote. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a while. And that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a really profound quote. Yeah. You know, we is. don't realize that the words that we say influence our bodies. They really do. And the, and, and even the words that you say from other people, that's why it's so important to surround yourself with people that support you and people that love you because those words register as ease and grace inside of your body mm -hmm. you know so that's why they say when you're healing from relationships spend time with really amazing people in your circle that can support you that yeah. can help sort of reroute your attention and rewire your brain to rewrite your brain and your heart and your spirit to just love yourself yeah and then you won't ever have to project that want or that need outwards because as long as you have that love inside of your heart if somebody comes along, even if it's for a moment, even if it's a momentary experience, instead of being hurt by it, you will say, this person taught me something very important. Right. Give them love, give them gratitude, and you move forward because you yourself are whole and you're not using that relationship as a way to define you. Yeah, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. Exactly. You know, so sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes your spirit guides take you out of the jar and yeah. sometimes it means a heartbreak, but... You know, when you, when you take a step back, mm -hmm. then you're able to read the label. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Gotta yeah. get the hell out of that jar. You gotta get out of that jar. Yeah. You know, and that's where that, that space is really necessary. So if anybody that's listening, uh, whatever you may be going through right now, I know quarantine has us really pulled in all these different types of directions. Oh yeah. And I think the main core of that, that whole story in our collective dark night of the soul is interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships, our association with other people, you know, be easy on yourself. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Use this opportunity to really practice self-love and, you know, uh, paying really, really close attention to the thoughts that you think and the things that you believe. Because as long as you're loving yourself, if, you find, if you're actually in a relationship, then you could just, like you said, love your partner and show up for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, even if you're a really verbal person, be careful. Yeah. Uh, I know that some of us need to talk to run the process, right? Yeah. To kind of understand our emotions and figure them out and compartmentalize them and, and sort through them. Yeah. Just be careful that you don't let that go on too long. Right. It's okay to, to be expressive and, you know, talk about it with a close friend or a family member, but mm -hmm. don't get stuck in your misery. That's true. After that, it's time to, it's time to turn it around and start putting a positive spin on it because right. you don't want to go, you don't want to go that, down that dark rabbit hole. That's true. Cause it, because at that point it becomes more about the habit and less about the facts. Right. You know, there's this, this 100%. Is, you know what I mean? You don't want to get into the repetition of uh, trying to, you know, use that as a way to cope yeah. with the, the, the whole game that's going on. Mm -hmm. You have to really, really absorb that information and do the work and really arriving to that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was a really, really wonderful conversation because I feel like everybody can relate to heartbreak and you know, the journey towards self-love. Absolutely. You know, because we're all human. At the end of the day, it's really about transformation and evolution of the human spirit, understanding ourselves and reinforcing our connection to source. Mm -hmm. 
So as long as we're living in a, that authenticity, we should be good. Yeah, we should be. Yeah, we'll use every experience as a, a way to learn and grow. Watch out for your numbers. And watch out, for those, watch out for those numbers. Yeah. Jan, watch out for those uh, reoccurring numbers that happen. They could be speaking volumes to us. And uh, for everybody else, too, that's listening. Thank you for tuning in. You could find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Divine Nobodies. You could, uh, we're on Spotify now. We are. Yeah. So if you're one of those people that prefers Spotify, definitely give us a search. You can also go directly to our website at www.divine-nobodies.com for all of our new episodes. And uh, you could also find a video to our podcast on YouTube. I think I covered everything, right? Yep. That's everything. Yeah. So it's been a wonderful journey. It's, it's always wonderful sitting here next to you, Jen, waxing wonderful. poetic about the yeah. good stuff. And I hope everybody has a beautiful weekend. Namaste. Namaste, friends. <laughs>